I was on a bus that was held hostage. 45 minutes. It wasn't life threatening. I don't want to give you that impression. It was a dude jerking off, but the shit was scary, son. It was scary. Right before it happened, I was on the bus smoking a cigarette. It's a long story. It's not the coolest shit I ever did. And people freaked out. <laughs> Sir! Sir, put that goddamn cigarette out, okay? This is everybody's air, sir. I flicked it. I didn't want any trouble. And just at that moment, coincidentally, this homeless dude out of nowhere pulls his dick out. Started beating off. And I was furious. Because nobody said shit to this guy. They were just looking like, oh my God. I was the only one on the bus that had the balls to say anything to him. And it's not even like I was brave, really. It was that, you know, I was sitting next to the motherfucker. I had to say something. <laughs> Come on, dog, you hit my elbows. We are back. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to Comedian Ordinaire, the world's most okay podcast. My name is Dan O. Oh man, uh, no special guest for this week's podcast. Um, and I don't know that I will have a guest for a little bit. I want to try a new format where I break down a comedian's career, so to speak, each week. Um, Really quick, though, before I get into all of that, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by telling a friend. Um, I think word of mouth is the best way for this thing to spread and grow and get its own legs like a maturing tadpole. And I guess in order to do that, you need a friend. Um, and you've got a friend in me, right? And you could go watch Toy Story if you want. I don't know. Basically, you need a friend, you need to tell them to listen to this podcast, and if they like it, they'll tell another friend, and so on. I'm doing a, a pyramid scheme of radio, internet, podcasting, so to speak. Um, so that is how you can help the podcast out. As always, all comments, questions, queries, and concerns are welcome at ComedianOrdinaire at gmail.com. Let's just get right into what I wanted to do. So for this one, I want to I break down why Dave Chappelle is great, which seems easy. You know, he's been around forever. He's been in a bunch of movies. He had a hit TV show. Other comedians hold him in high regard. But why? Why is it that if you're asked the question, who's the greatest comedian of all time, more likely than not, you're going to hear Dave's name? And of course, it's all subjective. Everyone has their own favorites. No two comedy fans are alike. Whatever. If somebody says Dave Chappelle is the greatest comedian living, you're probably not going to argue. You might throw other names in there, right? Like Pryor, Carlin, Seinfeld, Rock, Hart, Sinbad. But you can't tell this person that they're wrong. And in light of recent events, Dave went back to the stage 
for a 30-minute performance titled 846, which Dave says is the exact time he was born and the time that George Floyd was pinned to the ground and murdered by an officer. And this clearly sparked something in Dave as well as the entire world. Um, But that is a separate issue in itself. I'm choosing to deep dive into what makes Dave Chappelle great. And I think this recent performance only tells a small part of the entire story. And a little disclaimer before I get into things here. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Dave Chappelle is the baddest person to touch a microphone. Uh, that's alive right now. Dave's a beast, man. That's the only man, only man that puts a little fear in my heart. I'm like, okay. He's fucking amazing. How are you that funny at two in the morning in front of a crowd that gave up on the show like an hour ago and they're tired and they just want to go home. That second he steps on stage, boom. I told you I'm dope, nigga. All right. So Dave Chappelle, for those that don't know, is 46 years old. He's the winner of two Emmys, three Grammys, and recently the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. And as far as I know, his first appearance on television was in 1990 in the ABC show America's Funniest People. My impression of Batman fighting crime in my neighborhood. Excuse me, my impression of Batman fighting crime in my neighborhood. Robin. Yes, Batman. Didn't we park the car right here? I swear I was here a minute ago. Uh... Um, that clip you just heard, again, was filmed in 1990. I ripped it off of YouTube, and somebody was filming their TV, so I'm sorry for the poor audio quality, but filmed in 1990, which would have made Dave Chappelle just 16 or 17 years old, which is pretty crazy. Um, at that age, he had decided to move to New York from Washington, I believe, his hometown, um, in his home state. Now look, to be a comedian in New York City at 17 is already pretty unwelcoming and overwhelming. Um, To be a black comedian from another state seems even more troubling. But Dave never ran away from this. In the earlier stages of his comedy, he discussed what it was like to be black and largely drew on the differences between black and white people. Now that's a familiar form that we hear Time and time again, it's probably considered hack today. Um, Not to call Dave Chappelle's arc of work hacky. Um, He was a a product of everything that was around him. Sometimes the world be too much to deal with. That show business be crazy. That's where the cultures really collide. Show business bring a lot of races together. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. This is one thing that happens that's funny. You know, sometimes I'll be on a business call, right? You know, like with a with a lawyer or something. You know, my lawyers be white, and uh, and uh, <laughs> like we'll be on a call, right? And they'll be like, "Oh, okay, Dave, we're gonna we're gonna close the deal. Is that fine with you?" I'll be like, "Yeah, that's good for me. Great, great. You have a good weekend, Dave." I'll be like, "All right, you too, man. Peace." Oh, all right, bye bye. <laughs> say right so sometimes like, sometimes I'll make up shit that's not even slang just to see how they handle it and shit it'll be the same business go alright we're gonna close the deal is that fine with you Dave yeah sounds good to me great you have a good weekend Dave alright buddy 
zip it up and zip it out. Oh. All right. Zip it do da. Bye bye. Now, keep in mind, of course, that that was filmed 20 years ago, and this style of comedy was enormous. The entire Kings of Comedy special out on Netflix right now is a great example of multiple comedians sharing one style of joke-telling. But how does this make him great? If he hadn't developed an original style and only had one special out, he's not great, right? Okay. Let's just discuss the 90s for Dave really quick. From the time that he appeared on America's Funniest People when he was like 16 or 17, to his first special, he had attracted the attention of a bunch of different TV producers, pitched a couple of pilots that never got picked up. But in 1995, he did make a brief guest appearance on Tim Allen's Home Improvement um, as a troubled bachelor who gets relationship advice Again, I had to rip this from YouTube, and the audio isn't the best. I don't know what it is with 90s television that, for some reason, it can't make it to YouTube without somebody recording their TV. So I'm just going to play a small part of it here. But basically, yeah, Dave uh, had uh, Tim Allen call him and somebody else up, and he was just getting relationship advice. So just a brief clip of this. All right, all right, I know this. Jim, you said you were going to be home last night, but I came by your house and you weren't there. Where were you? Look, the audio quality in that clip is absolutely terrible. It's the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life, but trust me, Dave Chappelle was on Home Improvement. And look, you're not missing much. You're not missing a huge chunk of his career by not seeing this or not hearing this. I didn't even know it existed until today. Shout out to Tim Allen, though. Um, The other guy Dave was talking to in that scene was Jim Brewer, another comedian. And crazy enough, the two did so well in that episode that ABC approached them and asked them if they wanted to make their own TV show. So Jim and Dave agreed, and in 1996, the show Buddies premiered and eventually got canceled after just five episodes. Something really wild about that short-lived sitcom Buddies. Um, Pretty insane that this is happening. I guess it's nice to see how far we've come, and maybe we haven't even come that far. What I'm trying to say is, apparently Dave had brought on a predominantly black cast, and ABC wanted a wider show because it would be easier to appeal and relate to audiences. And that may have been some of the reasoning uh, that the show never amounted to anything. Dave accused ABC of being racist and stopped working with them entirely. Um, But since that didn't work out, it's not like Dave Chappelle's career was over. That same year, he also appeared in the film The Nutty Professor as the amazingly eccentric... Reggie Warrington, who completely roasted Eddie Murphy's character okay, in this right scene now, right here. All right, that's it. You got me. Oh, no. No, I ain't got you yet. Should I get him? Should I get him? Oh, look at this. Is with a woman, too. Oh, no. Who is sucking whose titties over here? It 
vegetables in a bucket of KFC. Extra crispy. Every time it goes to SeaWorld, they pay him. He must be on that new diet, Slim Slim. I entirely forgot how funny that scene was to me as a kid. Um, Dave Chappelle just starts ripping on him, man. Oh my god. I I hope the clip wasn't too long. I, I love that scene so much. Anyways, the rest of the 90s for Dave was all over the place. Uh, he filmed a 30-minute stand-up special for HBO. He wrote a cult classic stoner movie called Half-Baked. Uh, which I admittedly have never seen, with a fellow comedian, Neil Brennan. Um, he appeared in other TV pilots and in the movie Blue Streak with Martin Lawrence, um, all of which led to the filming of his first full-hour comedy special, Killing Them Softly, named, of course, after the famous Fuji song, uh, and filmed in his hometown of Washington, D.C. in the year 2000. Pretty crazy. Um, okay, so what can we gather from Dave so far, right? Started doing stand-up comedy when he was 14 years old, a literal child mastering the craft of an adult. Uh, he didn't necessarily grow up in poverty, but living in a less progressive time allowed him to develop his own perspective, which we still know and love today. Um, it's the type that isn't afraid to talk about specific things, and anytime he gets into trouble, he doesn't shy away from it. He really leans into it. He opens up about it. He becomes relatable. And, uh, and we can't help but feel empathetic towards him. Um, he endured numerous failures in the 90s, right? Multiple failed TV pilots, pitches that never flourished, poor reviews for the first full-length writing and acting project he was a part of, half-baked. Um, but that's just some of the bad stuff. Every great needs to go through this. Right, Michael Jordan lost to the Pistons for years, um, and that's the only example I can think of. I mean, LeBron James, all of them are basketball-related, but every great needs to go through this. Without suffering, there is no success. Um, it's sort of like starting a video game and immediately just entering cheat codes. It's just not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You need to go through the thing to feel what a reward is actually like. Um, he also appeared in a bunch of films some of which we already talked about, like The Nutty Professor, uh, which starred one of his childhood idols and possibly the biggest stand-up comedy, What If, Eddie Murphy. Um, he also managed to remain relatable and put out the previously mentioned HBO special. And eventually, like I said, his first full-length hour in the year 2000. Um, now, I say relatable because he's saying things that we can relate to, but he's doing it from a perspective of somebody who is living a life that we're not living. Um, you know, in this special, Killing Him Softly, he talks about driving in a limo, he talks about talking to his white lawyers and all this. Like, we don't have white lawyers. Normal people don't drive limos through the ghetto. Um, but he has such a unique way of taking something that happened in his life and making it relatable 
And this is one reason why I think David is great um, for as successful as he's become and as big as he's going to get and will continue to get. For some reason, when he's saying something, it, it doesn't matter what topic it is. If it just hits you right, you're like, oh, my God, I know exactly what you're talking about. That happens to me all the time. I don't, I don't even know how to do that in my own life. Like, as a common man, which I assume that I am, I must be a common man, I'd, I am struggling to make my own life relatable to others. So for somebody on this platform to do it um, consistently, it's, it's mind-blowing. And it's a testament to, I mean, God, I wish I knew his writing process, but it's just a testament to how much he cares about everything that he's saying. Dave also made uh, another movie appearance in Undercover Brother, starring Eddie Griffin. Pretty underwhelming movie overall, but I remember really liking it as a kid. Um, and watching it again later, like I bought it from a used DVD store, I couldn't finish it. I'm sorry, it's the whole thing, it's too much. I, whatever, I don't want to get too deep into Undercover Brother. That's not what this podcast is about. Um, but I do remember liking it as a kid. And then in the year 2003, we, of course, get The Chappelle Show. Chappelle Show. Chappelle Show. Chappelle Show. Chappelle Show. Chappelle Show. Let's start the show. The Chappelle Show was as big as it gets. Um, for... Not only sketch comedy on television, but for a comedy program on television and just a TV show in general. Look, Dave at this point had been working his ass off for 30 years. We talked about how much failure he had to endure in the 90s, and everybody on his level knows that that's where you really come from. That's what makes you. I could spend hours talking about all of the sketches I remember from this show, all of the characters, the supporting cast, Neil Brennan, Bill Burr, Charlie Murphy. It's unbelievable, right, the team that Dave had around him. Um, the show was an absolute success, and Comedy Central, which wasn't by any means the most popular station on TV, had struck gold. DVD sales were astronomical. Dave became a superstar right in front of our eyes, a legend in the making. Now, Chappelle showed me, and probably a lot of people, is where he proved that he was one of the greats. And one thing that I see every undoubtedly elite comedian has in their bag is the ability to jump in the middle of a scene and play different characters in their stand-up. Right? We think about how Eddie Murphy used to paint pictures of family barbecues, and we got to see everybody that was there, his uncle, his mom, his dad. Or when Bill Burr takes us into a moment of him and his wife arguing, we see both characters come to life. It's when Jerry Seinfeld uses dialogue and plays both parts. It's one thing that separates the elites. Um, their ability to create a scene and play it perfectly. And Dave was already doing this in his stand-up. And all the acting practice that he got in the 90s was how he set himself up for the ultimate success. This was literally Dave Chappelle running wild. Neil Brennan described it as a team that got to play around Michael Jordan. Chappelle Show is where we got so many classic comedy sketches, the player haters ball, 
Lil John, Ashley Larry, Rick James. And I ended up having to whip his ass, man, you know, because, you know, he would step across the line. Habitually, he's a habitual line stepper. First time, you know, I, I had to end up whipping his ass. And all of a sudden, I heard something go, Charlie Murphy! Tyrone Biggums, I mean. This was Dave doing what he did best. Um, storytelling. The show covered a number of racial issues and stereotypes, sexuality, absurd creativity. He also did a lot for the hip-hop and R&B community by frequently having musical guests showcasing other black artists. And I can't emphasize how big of a cultural impact this made. I was in the third grade shouting, fuck your couch, to my friends. I didn't even know what that meant. How can you do that to a couch? What even is that? He described it as more of a short film style and openly admitted that sketch comedy was just not his favorite genre. And after a couple of seasons, he was reportedly offered some $55 million to keep the show going. Comedian Dave Chappelle left tens of millions of dollars on the table when he walked away from his popular Comedy Central show. A lot of people wondered what the hell was he thinking? That's a quote. Chappelle says he had a, he was thinking. Or whether he was thinking. A lot of people asked that question. Chappelle says he had a crisis of conscience and stood up for his integrity as an artist. He explained to us how stepping out of the spotlight helped him avoid getting caught in a trap. This is probably the most controversial part of Dave's career. Another reason I believe he's great, too. Everybody knows the story. Maybe they know their own version of the story. The research that I'm providing for you today is this. Um, again, another reason I believe he's great um, is not just talking about the amount of character you have to have to turn down large money, but walking away is an added allure to the aura that he already had. We literally watched the greatest comedian working walk away in his prime, at his peak. It's exactly like Michael Jordan in the 90s, and maybe Dave went to South Africa to play minor league baseball. Who the shit knows? He came back buff as hell, so maybe there's something there. But to reach your peak, and then to walk away, and then, of course, to come back. We all know he came back. We all know Michael Jordan came back. There's a, a mystery. A mystery, a mysterious aura, if you will, I guess. I haven't thought this part out too much, but it adds something to the overall arc of his career. I mean, to walk away and your peak is huge. I, exactly for Michael Jordan, I mean, three championships in a row, Dave Chappelle, three seasons of a hit television show, and then he leaves, and everybody's like, whoa, what happened? The greatest just left. He just left. Um, I, don't, I mean, I make a lot of comparisons to NBA basketball. I think sports are a great metaphor for life. If you don't know that by now, I don't know what podcast you've been listening to. Also, Neil Brennan describing working with Dave Chappelle as being his Scottie Pippen, and he was Scottie Pippen. The metaphor, it just, it just makes sense. I know I can talk basketball all day long. He had an artistic integrity that he wanted to stand by. He decided that he wasn't going to let the money be the sale. In an interview that took place many years later, he elaborated a little bit on what the money meant to him. 
and how he really felt about the situation. It's so much bigger than money, though, Dave. It's so much bigger than money. Oh, no, it was bigger than money. But you know what? I, I watched one of these nature shows one time, and they were talking about how a bushman finds water when it's scarce. And they do what's called a salt trap. I, I, I didn't know this, apparently baboons love salt. Okay. So they put a lump of salt in a hole and they wait for the baboon. The baboon comes, sticks his hand in the hole, grabs the salt, salt makes his hand bigger and he's trapped, he can't get his hand out. Now if he's smart, all he does is let go of the salt. Baboon doesn't want to let go of the salt. Then the bushman just comes, takes the baboon, throws him in the cage and gives him all the salt he wants. And then the baboon gets thirsty. The bushman lets him out of the cage. The first place the baboon runs to is water. Bushman follows him, and they both drink to their fill. And in that analogy, I felt like the baboon. But I was smart enough to let go of the salt. It's an incredibly thoughtful analogy, and it makes perfect sense. He said he felt like the baboon, and I'm sure the water is what the industry was after. Um, a little bit earlier, actually, in 2006, he sat down with Oprah Winfrey who he didn't actually get pregnant, and he answered the question directly, do you feel like you lost your mind? Um, he said that he felt like he was being controlled and that he was being socially irresponsible. No, really, what was going on? Man, where do you start? Damn this story. <laughs> I, uh, I was doing sketches that were funny but socially irresponsible. Hmm. I felt like I was deliberately being encouraged and I was overwhelmed. So it's like you're getting flooded with things and you don't pay attention to things like your ethics yeah. or when you get so overwhelmed. It was like you won the lottery. And, Explain. Let's say for your handlers, for instance. Yeah. A lot of these people uh, traditionally get paid on percentage basis. The more you work, the more they make. The more they make. Yeah. You make that real money, they lost their minds. I thought they were crazy. Uh-huh. You know, it was like, you got to do everything. Yeah, yeah. So I got all these things. Then I got, you know, your own personal problems that get inflamed when this kind of money comes in. And I got to write a show and do the show. And I was overwhelmed. And it was almost like, I don't know, it was almost as if this was happening deliberately. So he felt overwhelmed. The show was a tremendous amount of work. Maybe he was overplaying stereotypes and butted heads with executives trying to make creative decisions on his behalf. Not to mention fame is an absolute bitch. So he fled. He went to a place where nobody had heard of him and cleared his head. Sort of like when I have a long day at work and I come home and just ignore every message my boss sends me asking me to come in early tomorrow. Home is my South Africa. South Africa's not my home, but, I mean, it's a simple analogy. I think you get it. There's also numerous stories of people shouting I'm Rick James, bitch. during his stand-up. In 2004, he berated one audience and walked off the stage, later returning and saying, This show is ruining my life. Uh, it was making his stand-up less enjoyable, which is what Dave Chappelle felt was most important. He was quoted as saying, you know why my show is good? Because the network officials say you're not smart enough to get what I'm doing. And every day I fight for you. I tell them how smart you are. Turns out I was wrong. You people are stupid. 
In Bird Revelation, he made a chilling comparison to feeling like a prostitute for the industry. In a book called Pimp by Iceberg Slim, an American pimp from the 40s, um, basically, to summarize this story and this point a little bit, Iceberg had a woman working for him that was about to go insane. She wants to quit, but Slim asks her to do one more thing for him. He asks her to get with one more guy, but first to slip something in his drink. She agrees, slips him the drink, and then comes running back to Slim because she thinks he's dead. Slim tells her not to worry because he'll get them out of this. A doctor comes by and confirms that he's dead. Now Slim promises not to turn her in, but he says, you need to stick with me until all of this fades away. And so she stays with him for another six months. That's the game. That's how the whole shit works, ladies. You understand? This bitch was at the end of a mileage. She was at 498. She ended up tricking for Iceberg for another six months. She must have turned another 200 tricks for him. Do you understand? Some cold shit. And the cold shit about it is that the dead guy on the bed wasn't even dead at all. This motherfucker was just a friend of Iceberg's acting like he's asleep. The doctor wasn't a doctor, it was a motherfucking butcher that happened to have a white coat. <laughs> and the dudes who came in the moving van clothes was dressed like movers because they were movers. Iceberg had gotten a new apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and the bag of money was Iceberg's money in the first place. The money he got from all those women. That's a cold game. That's the motherfucking Capitalist Manifesto. And that's why I went to South Africa. So now we got us a little secret, bitch. Look, please watch the special to see a more elaborate version of the story. Um, okay, so Dave left. He felt like he was being used. This is the part of his career where we start seeing the version of Dave that we're more familiar with. The version that just sort of pops in whenever he wants, new Dave, doesn't abide by any of the industry's rules. He's free. He shows up when he wants and stays for as long as he wants. Even here in Denver, every time I would go see a comedy show at Comedy Works, they mention that we have to participate in the raffle because comedians like Dave Chappelle might stop by. He did it once a few years ago, but even the mention of his name is enough for you to fork over all of your personal information. Also, something interesting I read about Dave during this time was that in 2007, he stopped by the Laugh Factory in LA without any material and set a stand-up endurance record. The comedian who had previously held the record was Dane Cook, who had been on stage for some three hours and 50 minutes, which is just insane to think about. Dave set the record at 6 hours and 12 minutes. Which is even more insane until you learn that Dane Cook would later go back to break the record again by hitting the 7 hour mark. I just love how competitive these guys are. I can't imagine all 6 or 7 hours were totally entertaining, but to the people who may have stayed the whole time, I hope that club is taking care of you for life. Fuck a two-drink minimum. Also, during this time of 
infrequent stand-up appearances. He's stopped by Hartford, Connecticut, which is an infamous incident in its own. By all accounts, he was being heckled so bad that the sound of his voice was being drowned out by chants of white power, which was just a reference to a 2003 sketch that he was a part of. Um, in 2014, he did 10 straight nights at Radio City Music Hall, which seats roughly 6,000 people, so not a small theater, a world-renowned theater. He would also appear as a host on SNL the very same weekend that Donald Trump had won the presidency, which was a dark day for all of us. 17 is really where we see Dave as he is today, a prolific storyteller and a one-of-a-kind joke writer. This was when he released two Netflix specials at the same time, which is something I still don't think any other comedian has ever done. Age of Spin and Deep in the Heart of Texas. I mean, I guess if I was getting paid $20 million per, I might drag out some shit I was saying too, though. Like, I can't knock the hustle. I'm just saying that's fucking wild. And look, I wish I had time to try and break down every major bit from these two specials. Maybe sometime in the future, I'll sit down and try to comprehend the technique and all that. But for this, I really want to make a couple of points about why Dave Chappelle is great. I think with a lot of other comedians who get into hot water, they tend to shy away from the controversy. Like if you watch the latest Aziz and Zari or Louis C.K., you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're playing it safe. They're mentioning it, but it feels like they're only doing it so you can't say that they didn't. It leaves a lot to be wondered, and I feel like we as an audience might leave with more questions than we arrived with. Dave, on the other hand, really leans into the controversies, and he does so in a vulnerable and relatable way, which again is insane. Like, how... How the hell are we supposed to relate to somebody who's getting paid $20 million for an hour of work? I mentioned that he had been heckled and in a separate incident was booed off stage in Detroit. Um, now look, this is probably the longest clip I'm going to play, but I really think it illustrates the point perfectly. I don't know if you ever saw on TMZ uh, the big headline, Dave Chappelle drunk on stage in Detroit. <laughs> well, if you saw it, I wasn't drunk. Uh, I had to smoke some reefer <laughs> with some rappers. Yeah. I don't know if you know anything about hanging out with rappers, but their weed is very strong. <laughs> Stronger than what I was accustomed to. The article goes on to say I was booed off stage, which is also incorrect. I was booed. I did not leave. <laughs> it was a long bump. It was a fucking nightmare. Two puffs of weed, that's all it was. Two puffs? I never had that happen where I take two puffs of weed. I looked at the guy next to me, I was like, I'm gonna bomb, nigga, I can feel it. <laughs> and that guy called my name, Dave Chappelle. Niggas was like, Ooh. You know, normally when you do a comedy show, you guys don't know what it looks like up here, but niggas be looking up at you like, That's how the show started. It didn't take long for the faces to switch up. Like, what the fuck? I started looking amongst themselves. So I knew I wasn't doing good. I don't remember what I was saying. It just took one person to break the ice. It's a black lady with a Ford motor shirt on. She stood up suddenly. 
fuck you, Dave Spell. I said, excuse me? She said, I worked all week for this shit, and this show sucks. And in a weird act of racial harmony, a conservative white guy stood up and backed her up. Yeah! The whole crowd banged together and started chanting, we want our money back. We want our money back. I said, oh shit. I snapped out of it. Good people of Detroit, hear me. Hear me now. You will never get your fucking money back. <laughs> Fuck that. I said, I'm like evil Knievel. I get paid for the attempt. I didn't promise this shit would be good. Boo, they said, fuck you. This went on for a long time. And then after the show, I felt so bad, I took half of the money from the show, thousands of dollars. I said, I'm gonna give this to charity. And you know what I did? I bought $25,000 worth of bubble gum and drove around Detroit and handed it out to the homeless so they could chew it and still be hungry. I was very mad at Detroit that night. Because not only did I bomb, nigga, I had to go back to the very same room the next night and do it all over again. Fucking nightmare. That would be like if you were having sex with a woman and for some reason, this would never happen, but for some reason, she had a mouse trap in her pussy. You get caught in a trap. And then you gotta fuck her again tomorrow night. I'd still do it, but you know, I'd be careful the next time. The old mouse trap in the pussy trick, eh? Fool me once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a tough time. And I wanted to give up sometimes. I almost did give up, but then I, right, right before I gave up, I decided not to. But I made the call. I made the call. They answered the phone. Hello? Dancing with the stars. I said, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. Oh, uh, if you see me on that shit, it's over. Trust me. My spirit is broken. If you see me waiting for them judges... <laughs> getting critiqued on my cha-cha, fuck that. Of most about this bit is that he's not embarrassed. He got high, he bombed, he was booed, he was scared to go back, he made a mistake. He wanted to give up, and he kept going. This is the vulnerability that I'm talking about. This is how we relate to Dave Chappelle. We all have feelings of insecurity. Of course, there are things we're all confident in, but these brief moments of Dave really opening up and doing so in a way that literally no other comedian can mimic is something that sets him totally apart from his contemporaries. I mentioned confidence a little bit. Uh, there's a great video on YouTube titled How Dave Chappelle Dodges Laser Beams. And the guy in the video makes the point that other comedians aren't as braggadocious as Dave is sometimes. There's an example of Louis C.K. on SNL saying that he's been doing stand-up for like 30 years and that he's only been good for about four of them. Uh, there's also a great Chris Rock joke where he talks about his level of fame and how he's only famous from a specific distance. Dave Chappelle, on the other hand, leans right into this part of his life. He really doesn't have a problem talking about how much money he has, how famous he is, or how dope at comedy he is. You know what's weird? I've always been this talented. 
It's amazing. He's always been that talented. Um, and look, I, I really could spend all day or all afternoon or all morning. I don't know what time you listen to this podcast. I can spend a lot of time talking about the Netflix specials, right? The most recent Dave Chappelle that we've got. Um, I think everybody coming together, all these comedians for the Mark Twain Prize Award that he won, I, I think that's the perfect illustration for everything that I'm trying to say. Neil Brennan goes up there, Sarah Silverman, Jon Stewart, who he went on tour with. All of these people had so many things to say about Dave and how he was different. I remember one specific Aziz Lanzari story where he was like, yeah, I was doing the show, I think in Madison, and uh, Dave Chappelle was like, hey man, do you want to come take mushrooms with me? And I was like, no, I'm sorry, Dave, like I got a show, I got a thing tomorrow, I really can't. And he's like, Aziz, in 20 years, do you want to tell your kids that you had the best night of your life with Dave Chappelle? Or do you want to tell them that you got some sleep? Which is so perfect. It's Dave Chappelle in a nutshell. I, I mean, from a public eye, not like any of us really know him. But we can do our best to try to sit down and analyze this. Nobody can copy Dave Chappelle. Nobody can copy him. They don't have his voice, his timing. I mean, how do you even break down a Dave Chappelle joke? And not to mention the countless times he's on stage and not even joking around. The entire bit about Iceberg Slim wasn't hilarious. It was darker than anything. Dave is a master at getting and keeping your attention. And in wake of recent events, I'm talking about the pandemic and the protest, Dave went back to the stage for some 30 minutes. And almost none of what he said had me laughing. He had my attention for a different reason. He was trying to express himself and speak on behalf of the voiceless. If you don't know by now, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis. He was pinned to the ground with a knee on his neck. When I watched that tape, I understood this man knew he was going to die. People watched it. People filmed it. And for some reason that I still don't understand, all these fucking police had their hands in their pockets. Who are you talking to? What are you signifying? That you can kneel on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds and feel like you wouldn't get the wrath of God. That's what is happening right now. It's not for a single cop. It's for all of it. Fucking all of it. This performance is absolutely what inspired me to make this entire podcast in the first place. Dave makes the point, why should you even give a shit about what your favorite comedian thinks about what happened here? But I know why. I figured out why they want to hear from me, and it's serious. 
The only reason people want to hear from people like me is because you trust me. You don't expect me to be perfect. But I don't lie to you. I'm just a guy. And I don't lie to you. And every institution, every institution that we trust lies to us. This is why Dave Chappelle is great. We trust him. We look up to him. He's bigger than comedy. He's articulate in a way that inspires and speaks up for the mild-mannered. Dave has been talking about race for his entire career. In the beginning of this podcast, I talked about how the format used to be more generic in comparison. Then he brought racial issues to the public eye with Chappelle Show, later with the famous block party. He talked about how he didn't really fit in with the persona we assumed for him. He's always talked about it. 846 isn't really that different. Sure, less jokes. This is not funny at all. (laughs) I got some pussy jokes too I could do, but I just really just... But it's such an intelligent and powerful message. He didn't speak too soon on issues which would have drawn attention away. Which he got backlash for. He claimed the streets were talking for themselves, and this is what was supposed to happen. It's his ability to step back and respect the space around him. Dave Chappelle is a leader who knows when to slow it down and when to take charge. I want to shout out all the young people who have had the courage to go out and do all this amazing work protesting. I am very proud of you. You kids are excellent drivers. I am comfortable in the back seat of the car. Uh, so carry on, young ones. So is Dave Chappelle great? Yes, he's a living legend that makes every other comedian feel like they haven't done shit, like they aren't doing shit. Even after putting all of this together, I feel like I need to do more shit. Dave is the voice of a generation. His longevity is second to none. He has undeniably put himself in the conversation with people like Carlin, Pryor, Seinfeld, Amy Schumer. I'm kidding about one of those people, of course. I think Carlin is a hack. Dave Chappelle has found a way to simultaneously set himself apart from everybody else and relate to an entire nation going through something historical. He's one of the most prolific workers of his time. Right now, we're watching him pitch a perfect game. But that doesn't come without failure and controversy. He left at the peak of his popularity and came back twice as strong, making moves nobody else has ever made before. Dave Chappelle is one of one. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you've made it to the end, uh, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Uh, A huge thanks to you, man. That's freaking awesome. I say man, dude. Man and dude. I need to take those words out of my vocabulary. Dude, man, thanks for listening to this podcast, bro. Um, But really, this it was a lot of fun to put together. I want to do... Other podcasts like this on different comedians, maybe next week, Jerry Seinfeld. Um, I'll try to tackle the big ones first, and hopefully I get better at breaking down careers like this. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it's something you like, because I'm going to try it for a little bit. 
Uh, I don't know that I'm the biggest fan of Zoom interviews, um, and this again is taking up a lot of my time, and I love doing it, so I just want to try and get better at this. Um, if you've made it to the end of this, holy shit, man, thank you. feel like I'm repeating myself. Uh, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by telling a friend. Uh, I think word of mouth is probably the best way for something like this to spread, so spread it. Spread it through your mask, uh, spread it wide open, spread the butter. Uh, that's the best way that I know of. Uh, I'm telling people, but people are sick of hearing it from me, and maybe if they hear it from you, it's a little bit different. And I know we're hard to understand wearing these muzzles, but it's for your own safety. And if somebody can actually understand what you're saying through this mouth guard made of fabric, then that's even better because that means that you're articulate, you don't mumble, you speak loudly, and people listen. So go and spread the word. Um, and that's the only thing you should spread, especially right now. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm going to go get to work and start scripting another one of these. Um, so thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. how this whole Dave Chappelle thing is going to end. But I feel like I'm going to be some kind of parable by either what you're supposed to do or what you're not supposed to so I'm going to be something. I'm either going to be a legend or just that tragic f***ing story, but I'm going full throttle. I'm going all the way. Your connection sucks.